0: Okay, so what we're going to talk about tonight is how, how come people who are deeply committed to the way of Jesus can't seem to get along when they disagree on something. Now, we could start with a disagreement over Kobe versus LeBron, but we could, let, let's just move past that. I think sure,
1: sure, I, we, should, we should move past that. We should? Yeah, no, we should because, you know, I mean, five is always greater than three.
0: And then we go Bill Russell and Robert Ory, and then we just go in a circle. Sure,
1: Yeah, seven's better than three, too. Ten's better than three.
0: Now, I didn't realize math was going to be a part of this podcast. Well, you're a LeBron fan, so you wouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) As a LeBron fan, I'd also know what the second round of the playoffs looks like right now. Yeah, I know you do. Yeah. We know what 16 championships look like. (laughs) I don't, I don't want to be in a basketball argument, because <laughs> let me tell you, I was, I was not a basketball player. I was a wrestler, and my high school wrestling coach used to say that um, b- bo- boys' basketball is what goes on during men's wrestling season, and so, like, I, I just, I didn't keep up with basketball. That's so I, what,
2: I, that's what right? wrestling coaches tell themselves when 10 people come to a wrestling match. <laughs> that
0: is very and true. And the high
2: school basketball game is packed.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. Right, Faye? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like how many of you have been to a wrestling match? <laughs> the, oh, hey. The WWE does not count. How many of you know
1: how many of you know a wrestler making 10 million dollars a year? Okay.
0: <laughs> like Jesus said, "The love of money is the root of all evil." Next was John. All okay. right, let's get to the kingdom. Okay. The kingdom. Uh, so the subject at hand is not about Kobe versus LeBron, but about Church is often inability to get along when there's disagreements. I don't know if y'all have heard this comment, but I've heard it multiple times. If y'all do this, then I'm out. I've heard, if y'all wheel in a piano, then I'm out of the church. If y'all do this, then I'm done. And I'm assuming y'all have heard different versions of that. Where all of a sudden, if this is a subject, if this is an issue that you deal with, or wrestle with, or maybe you have a different conclusion, then all of a sudden, I'm done with you. Have you guys heard that? Yes. So the question is, why does that happen? What what, what causes that to happen? Okay, Josh, let me throw it to you first. Have you heard someone say something to that extent?
2: Yeah, I, th- I think if you go back and look at the, this is stepping in sacred ground here, but I mean, the very way the Church of Christ started, you know, we find our roots in the Presbyterian Church with the Campbell family, um, and, you know, in our best days, we can interpret his writings in a, in a kind of purest sensibility of restoring the New Testament, and there's certainly that impulse there, but on other days, you might interpret as, oh, if you all keep doing this right? With the communion tokens and things like that. Then I'm going to start this new thing. Now, the good news in that is that's not unique to American frontier Christianity because Baptists did it, Presbyterians did it. It's more of an American religious thing. So I don't know if that's good news or bad news, but it's in our very DNA is what I'm trying to say. It's been there from the beginning.
0: Yeah. And so when you see it surface and you see its head appear, it's almost like we've seen This movie, we've seen this story take place. Why is it still taking place? Is maybe the better question to ask. Why does it still show up? Now, I don't know if I'm going to say this on the microphone. Maybe I should have cleared this beforehand. But I know there have been times where you've been asked to disassociate yourself from certain groups because of things that you've done. Letters that have been sent out saying, hey, fate is no good. he's, He's an outsider. And you see that. When that kind of stuff happens, what do you see the effect of that? Causing on the church's witness to the wider community who are not connected to the story of Jesus.
1: Well right now it is That whole attitude is is destroying our movement <laughs> um, It has created a, a vacuum of, of leadership um, It has also created a vacuum of Witness from the members what I mean is this we are now paying the price um, in this generation for the sins um, in the past where we have been so militant about uh, keeping what we would call our orthodoxies um, regardless of what scripture says um, that we have destroyed the witness of the church well for example you have one of those situations um, I, I do believe that that leadership is God ordained and so suddenly um, you become an instrument of the enemy by destroying whatever God is ordaining to happen to lead the church. Well, what happens is, this is the vacuum I'm talking about, now all of a sudden, Luke's gone, Josh is gone, fate's gone. So what happens, then men and women step up who never should have been in that situation in the first place. And so now filling that vacuum are people who don't belong there at all, So suddenly, controlling the resources of the church, controlling the witness of the church, the direction and the vision of the church are people who should have never been there anyway. And so now when people come along, you say, well, how's the church going to go forward? And we say, well, let's go talk to the leaders. Well, the leaders are gone. These interlopers you have there uh, have absolutely no witness. They have no vision. And so suddenly, you're asking them to do something they can't do. Now, I'm not talking about their character. They stepped up because they had to. Um, they because they had to. The problem is, I don't care um, how much you put a wrestler in front of a fastball. The wrestler can't hit it. That's
2: true.
1: Now, if you if you if you if you ask a, a baseball player um, to to tap out somebody on 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 the mat, he couldn't do it. If you put people in the wrong position, so suddenly these people have stepped up,
0: it's not about character, it's about calling. And that's what I'm talking about with the vacuum. Do you think it's forcing, like when leaders see this, do you think they're stepping out more? Like, because your example was, so Josh steps out, Fate steps out. Do you think that the Joshes and the Fate are seeing this and going, I I don't want anything to do with this?
1: Well, here's, well, yes and no. Here's what I say The Joshes, the Fates, the Luke's, what they do is because they are called to lead. It's who they are. It's who and what they are. It's it's how God has shaped them to do. So suddenly they began leading, right? The problem is what they're leading, even though not intentionally uh, apart from the fellowship, automatically becomes not a part of the fellowship. And so now you have Josh Island, the Luke Island, the Fate Island, but who's controlling the main are people who should have never been anyway. So now you have, like in Los Angeles, now you have, you know, 10 churches with buildings of, you know, 400, 500-seat buildings with 10 people.
0: And obviously the kingdom of heaven would do a whole lot better. Absolutely. If if we were using our resources together. Absolutely.
1: If they call Josh back, because Josh is supposed to be leading.
0: Yeah. Uh, So, Josh, I know one of the things that uh, you spend a lot of time with is the relationship of of Christianity and Islam, of Christians relating to Muslims. And if that, you work into that, you've tried to help foster engagement in the Nashville area. You, you have relationships um, with people who are leaders, different communities, and you do that. I'm, I'm assuming there's been pushback from people who, who don't see the, the value of that, or maybe even the, uh, the righteousness of doing something like that. And so they say, hey, God, let's, let's push this down. What do you think happens when churches see that kind of stuff and they go, "Y'all don't accept what we're doing, you don't appreciate it"? Like, what does that do for the witness of the church with like the
2: the Muslim community? When there's pushback internally. Yeah, when
0: they see the internal tension.
2: Well, I I mean the Muslims that I work with in Nashville are not surprised by that because of how they're treated. Like. Well, of course, of course, you're gonna get. What did you think this was gonna be easy? Um, so yeah, I don't. I think they watch to see if you'll s- stick to your convictions even when you're being tested from within. Like um, you know, one one very simple test um, that I learned early on in, in interfaith work is: Do you bring your kids? Because in, in most Muslim. Uh, pockets of nashville they're very conservative people socially that's why a lot of muslims are sending their kids to lipscomb right now because lipscomb's the conservative option um you know god has a sense of humor right (laughs) when that when that's going on but they uh no i learned i learned that you bring your kids to those events because they in many muslim communities they do things as a family so if I show up to stuff they think it's great. If I bring my oldest son Lucas who's 8 years old, now they know I'm in, if I'm taking heat from such and such Baptist church who wrote this op-ed piece against this book that I wrote, but you know, they know what's going on internally, but if I'm bringing my family and we're working together with them, then they know. Okay, he's got skin in the game and his kids have like they don't have a choice, but at least he's ma- he's he's bringing their, his kids into this, so this is like a real thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay. It, it, so our our kids are at different stages of life. So it, Josh and I's kids, we don't have them together, but like our families, ha- young kids. Um.
2: Just for the record, though, I would be thrilled if my three sons married. Luke has three beautiful daughters. So since we're talking about family and...
0: That's funny. Yeah. That's funny. I wouldn't want my daughters to marry the sons of someone who looks like he's at the happy hour during a podcast, <laughs> slouched over, shirt half off. Uh, I don't think I would want that. Um. I've been up for like 20 hours, man, what do you want? <laughs> don't come at the king, come on. Okay, uh, so <laughs> so we have kids at different ages. So you're bringing your kids to stuff, they, they, they see the interaction, um, your Muslim friends see you're bringing kids, so that means, you know, Josh cares about this. Your kids are a different stage. They've seen you go through the battles where people have said, hey, fate's no good. We don't want him a part of this. Absolutely. What does it do for, for your kids, and their, maybe not them specifically, I don't know if you want to talk about their business, but how does it affect the, the kids of the people who are leaders when they see that happen to their, their families?
1: It, it makes them struggle to believe in the idea of church, they they have God issues and they'll have church issues. Hmm. So the idea of church, um, especially uh, when they're the preachers' kids, now all of a sudden they this for preachers' kids, church is their environment of life. Yeah. You know, they're always at church, so church becomes home and suddenly home isn't safe you know uh and you know and and dad has to suck it up you know um, um, now granted uh, my kids were never forced to be preacher's kids um they are pretty much do it they what they're <laughs> hyper independent
0: <laughs> I wonder where they got that from <laughs>
1: I don't have the faintest idea. Hmm. Probably their mom. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> I, I do have the faintest idea. <laughs> I'll be here all week. Um. But yeah, they, they,
1: um, they, they, they carry the scars, um, um, but, but they also carry the strengths of, of seeing uh, unmovable faith. You know, um, so I, I don't think because I'm big on the sovereignty of God. I don't, I don't think God um, allows me or puts my candlestick in a place I'm not supposed to shine. And so that's inclusive of my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when, when they see me, um, I have to be, you guys talked about witness. I, my witness has to be right. Uh, so it puts a lot of pressure on me to not be me, to not lash out you know, but the effect on them is, it. you know, can be devastating. For some kids, they're done with church. Now, my kids aren't done with church, but for some I've seen, they are done with church.
0: I mean, the idea of church is like, please. Yeah. I think there are a lot of people who've seen you know, the way church treats itself, and they go, yeah, I'm, I'm good without that. I mean, that's not something I, I, I want to yeah. do. But on the other hand, there are plenty of people who've, who've seen church and there are people who are able to disagree without being disagreeable. There are people who are able to have you know different conclusions without like concluding the relationship. And so the question is like, what is it about those people that enable that? Like, how do you get certain people who can have like vastly different conclusions on issues that they care deeply about, but they're still able like to get along? And I, one of the uh, feedbacks that I get from from some people about the podcast is like. I, I felt really uncomfortable when that person said that thing, or, you know, so-and-so said something, and, and, like, that just really upset me, and I'm going, like, is it so uncomfortable to listen and to hear someone else explain what they think and how they understand God? I mean, let's not forget what we're doing is describing the creator of the universe. Like, do you really think that you have full ownership of that? And, And some people, like, they can't, make room for other opinions. So what do you think it is about certain people that are able to do that?
2: I was just thinking about some of the hard conversations I've had uh, within our context in Nashville. Um, I think there's a there's a twin. If I was putting like my church psychologist hat on, uh, I think it's a weird mixture of fear and pride. And fear manifests itself in control. Um, And I say this all the time, I do not trust people who need to control everything. I just, I have an allergy. I just can, you know, you can see, you know that person coming a mile away, right? You just know that um, whatever they're about to be a part of is not good. It's going to be manipulative. It's going to be short-sighted. There's going to be anger involved. And all of it um, is the root of fear, especially when you're talking about difficult social things like LGBTQ or Racial reconciliation or Black Lives Matter or Christians and Muslims building a house together. like Anything that touches on some of the tender, social, cultural places we are right now, that it's like that fear instinct just uh, kicks in and, and people want to control stuff. Um, and of course, the great thing about the Gospels is it has incredible material <laughs> for people who are afraid. I mean, it's just so rich. And then the other one is, is pride. And the way that pride manifests itself in churches, um, the way you measure pride in a church, is the ability of that church's leadership to listen to all voices. What do you mean? Um, okay, I'm just going to... It's late. Um, <laughs> this is going to be good.
0: <laughs> no one's listening. Most, just your- most
2: of most of the white churches that I've been associated with are led by men who are asked to be elders because they're successful in their business. And they're successful in their business because of the bottom line, most of the time. And it's a bonus if they're a good person. If they're a jerk, well, maybe we can work around it. Like, you sure he was baptized? Yeah, he's, b- okay, then he's okay. But... That is too deep. But... <laughs> But here's here's where here's where I've experienced it. Um, pride produces men who not who not only don't listen, they don't know how to listen, and their best version of listening is to be quiet until it's their turn to talk, and then when they talk, you can tell they weren't listening. And I think what we have right now is a generation, two generations potentially, who when certain leaders in certain churches talk, they recognize right away, you, you haven't been listening to the actual conversation that's happening cultural around Trump and Obama or gay and straight or Supreme Court or Duck Dynasty, or whatever it is. Like it is, it's not the position that people hold that's offensive. It's the fact that you don't value people and divergent viewpoints enough to actually be able to articulate their viewpoints back to other people. It shows that you aren't actually capable of doing the hard work of listening. And the only reason you wouldn't do that is because you're not humble. And we've been led, we're led by churches of men who have always been in power. And when you're in power, you don't need to listen because people do what you want to do. And if they don't, then they go work somewhere else. Which is why preachers like my dad had to move around every five years because he worked for those kind of elders. That's what I got Yeah,
0: fear I think is a it's a big one. Uh, I keep going back to Erwin Friedman's well differentiated leader. I mean, you have an anxious presence in leadership and Anything that comes at them, their anxiety exudes. And if you don't, in, as, especially as leaders, if you don't transform that anxiety, you will transmit it, as our friend Richard Rohr would say. And that sort of anxiety is not willing for, as you say, like divergent viewpoints to be communicated. Like, you hear this stuff, and it, it all of a sudden is an attack on you. Uh, I, I, I was reading on the way out here a book by a friend uh, named Austin Channing Brown. She's been on the podcast a couple times, and she's got a new book um there's no way I know the name of it. Um, I, no, it's uh, I'm Still Here, uh, Black Dignity in a World of White Privilege, uh, which is a great title to be read on a book. like uh, uh, right, Great book to be read on a plane, because we're like, what is that guy reading? Um, Especially
2: when you look like you're a member of Hillsong. Yeah, go ahead.
0: <laughs> I'll take that. I'll take that. I like Hillsong. Okay, and, and so... <laughs> So in her book, she describes like her experience uh, at, don't, they don't laugh at that man. <laughs> I was laughing with you. Thank you, thank you. Um, okay, all right, um, so she's describing her experience of you know, being at work and it, it, it seems uh, to her that people are treating her differently because she's the only person of color in the office. And she's describing these sort of like microaggressions where people say, uh, she described having a, there's no way I'm going to get this like a pineapple bun. Or something. I don't know what that even means. I've got, you know is that right? And so people come up and go, "Let me touch your hair." And you, I see that on your face, but to me, someone's just going to go, "What's the big deal? It's just hair? Right. And, and, and some of us are going to be offended because how is that racism? Like, how, how is that a, a small form of racism? Because I'm just trying to, to, to see what you're like. And she says it makes me feel like I'm some sort of like exotic animal. And for some of us, you hear that and go, wait, there's nothing wrong with me. Like, there, there's nothing wrong with the way I'm acting. I don't want to hear your experience because that that makes me feel insecure. And that insecure leader, like you said, is not able never ever, to listen. And, and if you can't listen, then there's no there's no community. Do you see that fear and uh, lack of humility played out?
1: All the time. Um, it, was, it was interesting, Josh, you were talking about the need for the fearful to control. Um, and I completely agree. But isn't there also a flip of that? That that when you feel out of control, um, then your, your fear um, can also manifest in... Irrational aggressions. Um, you know, you're talking about I'm, you know, I'm not against our president, but I'm not a fan, but, you know. Um, but I see a lot of fear that if, you know, there's, there's something came out that he has been instrumental in, in navigating the peace between North and South Korea. And I think that's a great thing. But for me to say that um, within my context to people who feel that he or what he represents is the reason my life is out of control. You know, I don't care if he did something good. I don't care if he became Jesus, you still don't. Because now I'm my life's out of control and, and I can't see the, the oppressor in, in a good light, regardless of if the oppressor does something good or not. And I'm not saying he's the oppressor, I'm talking about perceptions because fears are based on perceptions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, when you said that, I, I, I thought about that, but also when you talk about leadership, um, we deal with fearful leaders all the time. I deal with my own fears um, and my own pride. That, that, that horrible spiritual cocktail you talked about, that intersection of fear and pride, um, when I'm trying to lead, um, and it just gets crazy because, you know, Then you all, I also do a lot of powerlessness. <laughs> so yeah. I guess I'm just all jacked up. <laughs> 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 you know, because, you know, I feel powerless in the power position. But I,
2: I think that, and this is something that my counselor has helped me with, is just the
1: exercise of naming. Okay, here's what I'm afraid of today. You know what I'm jumping right there on something? This is going to sound horrible. Just say it. But see that, that right there? Uh you know that's something that, that that a lot of us, especially as African American preachers, yeah, you know, we kind of need to do. To have a friend, Vincent Hawkins, who is here, and he says all of us need counselors. Yeah. And you very seldom hear about African American say, "You know, I went to my counselor." <laughs> 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 like, that would be a
2: great blackish episode. <laughs> wouldn't it? The black preacher goes to the counselor for the first time, and his friends make fun of him. Boo-wee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was talking to a friend. <laughs>
1: Okay, I okay, hear you now.
2: <laughs> Who happens to have a degree in counseling. And I wrote a check at the end of the session. No, and, and what she has helped me with. Oh, she? Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Yes, they let women vote and drive and everything now, folks. So right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad I was on my end of that one. <laughs> <laughs> your counselor what was she
0: saying to you she, she has helped
2: me to see the power of naming our fears and then saying okay let's say that that fear that you have is 40% accurate let's play that out and where, where does that go because like, that's that's what's driving the narratives that we live by is it's not just the fear it's what we assign for the future like the implications so let's Let's take that out. We do that as individuals. We do that when we vote. If this person wins, this is what America will look. Like. And we, all sides do it, right? Um, so I've just I have really leaned into the discipline of even writing fears out or speaking those fears, yeah. and I think they lose their their edge when we just speak about them openly.
0: Yeah, I think so. In the same way that in the garden, they name creation as a way of saying I have dominion over the creation. So I'm going to name it. It's going to be a zebra. It's going to be a giraffe. I have dominion. I'm going to name Hmm. it. I think when you name your fears, it does the same thing. Like you you name those things and all of a sudden they don't have the same power that they used to. And I I think naming the fear that's causing us to be anxious in churches when we're losing control, I think that's like a real healthy step. And I think naming the fear that when, when someone's different from us that they're not the antichrist. Like you were talking about this, like your attitude about the present for or against, they have to be completely on that side. So if, if you're against, then there can't be anything good about them. Or if you're for, there can't be anything bad. And and in doing so, uh, what's her name? Catherine Schultz wrote a book called uh, "Being Wrong," It's a real fascinating book. And she says like when someone disagrees with us, like the the first things we think is they're evil, they're stupid, or it's, they're lazy. So we like we, we characterize like who they are instead of saying, we are all this mixed bag of bad and good, and we are all this mixture of dust and divine. And I, I think like healthy leaders who, and, and healthy people who can deal with divergent opinions understand that just because I'm for Josh doesn't mean that he's not going to make some boneheaded decisions sometimes. And just because I don't like Luke doesn't mean he's not going to have anything good to say every once in a while. And sometimes we just get like this... You're good, you're bad, and we're going to lead people in these sort of like black and white understandings, like for or against, and that's it. But like, I think healthy leaders and healthy people say there is the image of God in everyone. And it, uh, until we have that sort of like as a baseline thing, then we can't like disagree and have space and go, y- you still matter because you're creating the image of God, even if we see this differently. Uh, okay, so you're, you're, you're leading your church, and there are churches down the road. Half a block away, block away. What's the closest church in our tribe from you? From from me? From Metro. Uh, Four miles? Four miles, okay. So they're just down the road. And you live in Nashville, so there's a church like every 400 feet, basically, right?
2: It's pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah.
0: As you're trying to create relationships with these churches and go, you know what? They're not the enemy. We disagree on things that we care about. We have substantial convictions on them. We're probably not going to change this. But I don't want you all to think they're evil. How, how do you do that? What are things that have helped try to bridge that gap?
1: Yeah, they're evil.
0: Oh, okay. Well, that's <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> I don't think any of them are evil. I don't think. I don't think the other churches of Christ in the area are evil. I don't think the Baptist church down the street is evil. I don't think the Seventh-day Adventists, or even the crazy church down the street. I don't. I'll call them crazy because they're, <laughs> they're the church, you know. It's, they're the church of all nations.
0: I, I don't even know what that means. Well,
1: you know, they're, they're the coexist church. So, so, like, they don't say Jesus. They don't say Buddha. They don't say Muhammad. They're just spiritual. Okay. So you just come. That's what I call them, the crazy church, because you go like, are you Christians? Yes, we are. Are you Muslim? Yes, we are.
0: They, they got it all.
1: Are you Hindu? Yes, we
0: are. Hey, my dad taught me to hedge my bets. So, <laughs> so But I don't i don't hate any of them. You know mm-hmm. I mean? I think all of them have something to do in the conversation. My dad actually didn't do that. I'm sorry. I just want to say yeah. that for the record. <laughs> just joking.
1: That's funny. Uh, so you don't hate them all? No, I don't hate, I don't hate any of them. And so I, I think when you talk about what you tell the church, I don't think I have to, at least in my context, I don't have to say anything overtly. It comes in how, how we live and how, for instance, uh, they were asking, well, can we go to, there was a praise dance concert at one of the churches. Can we go? I said, sure, you wanna go, go. So a group of us went down and went to the praise dance concert. Now they came back laughing because the preacher there had a, <laughs> he gave out t-shirts but a big picture of himself right here, <laughs> and then we're like, We have no king but faith. <laughs> <laughs> no, they came back and said, We're gonna get you some of those t shirts, <laughs> and we had a big laugh about it. You like that idea? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but but you know, but since I said that, I said, I, I said, you know, what I don't agree with them, I've already told you about I don't agree with them, but I, that doesn't mean they're crazy because they, they don't agree with me on everything, no. but we both love Jesus. Um, um, we both want everybody to go to heaven. We we can work together where we can. That's kind of how I do it. I mean, maybe that's not the best way, but that's what I do. I think
2: the biggest challenge, especially in metropolitan, urban, sub, suburban areas, and I think this transcends race and ethnicity, is that, that the dominant cultural narrative of being American is competition. Absolutely. And hear me when I say this, because some people are like, "Oh, you don't like America?" Like, no, actually, I I love America, and I love the fruit of some of that competition. Like, we really built a railroad across America. We sent someone to the moon. Like, we found, uh, we discovered polio, right? So there's a a a side of competition that's incredible. we have the Steph Curry's and the Kevin Durant's and LeBron James that I want my boys to look up to because of who they are in their pursuit of excellence. And, and we, the same thing with actors and musicians. But here's the dark side of competition. And this is why I think if you have an unhealthy zeal for all things America, it's really hard to be a Jesus person. Because the as I read the New Testament, the dominant narrative in the New Testament is not winning and losing. It's Saints and sinners. And that's those are two fundamentally different narratives that are at odds with each other. And so what we do what we have done in America is we've taken the Jesus story and we've baptized it into the American narrative and now we're trying to win and we don't we don't want to lose. So if our church is smaller than it was five years ago, we're losing. Which guess what, what guess what that means in the Church of Christ? Ninety eight percent of our churches are losing. But there was a time when we were winning, right? And that becomes the nostalgic. And 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 the Methodist Church does the same thing. The Presbyterian Church. So as long as we are fundamentally committed to a narrative which says we care most about winning and losing, it is really hard to take up a cross and and break bread and and receive the cup. Because um, it's man, is it a different story? Yeah,
0: back in my. Uh previous life, when I was a church planner, uh, there were these church planner gatherings I would go to, and some of them were, like, were really great, and I, I became really good friends with uh, one of the Acts 29 church planners uh, right next door to me, and he was uh, such a great friend to me, and super appreciative of him. And then there are other church planner gatherings where it's, so how many people do you guys have this Easter? Uh, how many small groups have you have? What, what do you have started? And, and it just became like this sort of uh, us versus them thing, and it just becomes toxic, and, and part of what... What feeds that sort of like divisiveness is if someone's not happy at church, they have a dozen other options within like a five square mile radius radius, not price square, but right around the corner. They can go to all these different options, and so this sort of need to get people to fill seats means as leaders, we're like, oh yeah, come here. No matter what happens at your previous church, no matter what you're running from, and no matter what you're leaving, you help us fill up our stat sheet, even if it's deleterious for the kingdom of heaven. The best thing for us to do is Hey, we're glad you're here, but you probably need to work out some of the issues that caused you to run over here in the first place.
2: Unless you're going to tithe, and then we're good. We're not going to ask
1: any questions. (laughs) No
0: questions. (laughs) That's good. Should we we invite our friends to ask some questions? Okay, I was just thinking that. We're good. Okay, uh, so we're going to do some question and answer. Um, We'll. we'll, let's try this. You guys, you guys good for that? Do you think we can come up with some questions? Anyone? Yes? Yeah. Are you ready for question and answer? Absolutely. Okay. Do you want to start? You want to ask the first question? I'm asking questions? No, I'm just kidding. I was just giving, I was stalling so they could come up with a question. Yes, Tara from Austin. Tara Brimberry. 512-268-9412, text her with your feedback. First of all, we're part of the same church. So for you specifically, no. <laughs> are there things that, are, that you should divide over? I I, no, here's the thing. Just step, step out. out. There was, uh, so I've got a friend uh, named Jonathan Merritt, and he was uh, talking about this uh, Baptist uh, seminary professor, and he had this vulgar statement he made in a sermon about a 16-year-old girl and the church laughed about it and thought it was appropriate and then there's some comments that he made about domestic abuse and As a human being I'm going I don't want that sort of thing promoted and I don't want to stand and say this is something I endorse and I believe this is healthy or good and I I think there's a time where you have to wrestle with those questions I think it becomes cancerous when we elevate everything to that level. And so what we found is that there's an, often an inability to differentiate preferences and opinions over things that are anti-Christ. And I, I, I think through people that you trust and counsel, that can help you make sure that you're dividing them correctly. Obviously there are times, what would you say to that question, Faith?
1: I'd say that usually the problem is the opposite. I think, I think it goes back to um, something that Josh was talking about earlier about Americans' tendency to, uh, to kind of worship better. I think we, come, we become addicted to better. And so suddenly, if, if I can do better, I should go someplace else because it will be better for me. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that, that is more of a problem. I think if you need to leave a family I think it should be as hard as leaving the family. Um, if, if, if it's not as hard as leaving the family, um, I think your, your ideology of what it means to be a church or a congregation of the church um, is problematic. But there are certain things you'd leave the family for. Um, you know, th- uh, he was talking about the idea of, of abuse. Um, there are certain even beliefs you might leave. But even if you left the family over a belief, you still wouldn't leave the family. You know, you'd say, well, I'll just only see you guys, you know, on Thanksgiving. I'll see you for turkey, but I won't see you at other times. Um, that's kind of how, how I look at it, that, um, you, you know, you shouldn't leave um, just because you think you can do better. Um, but I do think there are times you should leave.
0: Yeah. Another question? Yeah.
2: So the question was kind of, if I could reframe it, I felt all of that energy by the way. (laughs) The question is if you kind of have a more institutional larger thing and you've got a more nimble organic that has kind of a specific focus, it's usually social justice oriented, how, how do you keep them together? Is that a fair way? Or how do you get them together? I see, okay, yeah. So you have like the mothership. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is a really good question. I'd probably have a better answer if I had more time to think about it. But my my gut reaction would be um, you have to clearly define wh- what the purpose of both of those groups are. And it, it may be that they don't really need to have a lot to do with each other because. What the smaller thing is trying to do, actually, when when you send the pleated khaki pants folks from the other place to use Scott McKnight's language, that just messes up. Um, these are more like, uh, uh, Are those Dockers? <laughs> no, these are not. These are banana, rep- these are Kevin Love Banana Republic. Thank
0: you very much. <laughs> Does that mean they, they wrinkle in crunch time? <laughs> 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 sorry, sorry.
2: So I, I've seen this in several different instances. I've seen, like when we were in, when Car and I were in Rochester, we had we were part of a pretty big church, thousand people, and then we did this church plant thing. And from the beginning, there was this tension, you know, between the two. Uh, we see that in the Book of Acts, where we've got Jerusalem as the hub, and then what's Paul out there doing? Bring him back for a conference. Let's figure this out, right? And that's Acts 15. So I, I don't know if the tension's naturally bad, but I do think there comes a time when the mothership needs to have the guts to just say, we're launching this thing and it need to be, it needs to become what God wants it to be and back to the fear and control and pride and, and we relinquish um, our need to control it. Now where it really gets tricky is when money is involved, right? So when the big thing is writing the checks for the little thing, the big thing says, "Well, we're writing the check, so we get to, st- we still get to shape the the doctrine and the theology." Um, but I, one of the things that I most, if I could say a word about the church where I serve right now, um, it, Otter Creek has a long history of launching things and then not getting credit for it, and I love that. I, I think that's uh, that's a very kingdom perspective. There's a thriving liberal arts university in Seoul, Korea right now called korean christian university some may know of it here but that started um, by some men and women in otter creek who were involved in the korean war they came back to nashville to kind of start their lives in their mid to late 20s and the preacher um, at that time at otter creek was preaching the sermon on the mount and made some of them memorize the sermon on the mount this is when otter creek was a church of 200 people and so they didn't want the korean war to be the last word in south korea and so they said, we need to go back. We need to invest our own money. And out of that little experiment uh, became Korea Christian University, which now has touched thousands of, of lives in kind of conservative evangelical circles. So I, I think that's the healthiest posture is when churches are planting all these seeds out there, and it doesn't have to be attached and controlled by the mothership.
0: From, from my experience going from a small church to a church, Uh, that's larger than right now, is each of them play a different role in the kingdom of heaven. And the small church I was a part of before uh, was able to do things quickly and uh, very organically, and a a larger church can't do that. Uh, And and the metaphor that I've used is the the small church is like a, a jet ski. It can go real fast, can turn on a dime, but it can't carry a whole lot of people. And a, and a large church is like a barge. And I, where I grew up in Ohio, like the economy was based on the barges that would come in and do the, do the work that they did up and down the Ohio River. And you need them. They're not gonna move as fast, but they are almost essential for the economy of the kingdom of heaven. So letting each one play their part, I think is pretty essential. L- let's do one more question and then um, we'll wrap this up. Hey, Colin. Yeah. Okay. So both of us have, Josh and I are both a part of churches that instrumental in acapella. Yours? Have you guys added an instrumental service? Not close. Do you Do you know? Have any data on when you think that's going to happen? Not close. <laughs> I wonder why. So do I. <laughs> when I was in grad school, I heard a professor say, "You know, churches that." Do this sort of stuff where they have separate services that look different, don't understand uh, the cross. Because people are selfish, and if they can't unify as a church over their style of music, whether that's instrumental or a cappella, then they don't really understand the cross. And I think that's kind of an overstatement, but someone who's not, you know, working at a church, Um, (laughs) I, I, I think. Like, the, the right answer is, what worship style does God like the most? The one where you do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Uh, but churches, they're messy and everyone has different connections. And to, to diminish the connection people have to God through the traditions of the church they're part of, I think, would be a little bit simplistic. And... The language we've used at the church that I'm a part of is making more room at the table. And we know certain people have preferences. And it would be great if people all knew how to get rid of their preferences. But until I've taught myself to do that, I don't think I can expect everyone else to do that. And what I think we need to do as a church is to understand that we can't make a commitment to a style We can't make a commitment to a change that we're making, but a commitment to continually change. Because preferences are going to come and go. And what we need to establish is not for one generation to get what they want. Because that's typically what we do in worship wars. We we do these sort of sanctified arguments over who gets control of the radio station. And eventually, when when my my demographic gets in charge, I get power, then I'm going to get what I want. And then I'm going to hold on with a death grip until people kick me out the door. And until we teach people to say your best thing to do is to give power away like that's the cruciform way is i'm going to try to give my preferences and give my control and give what i want away and that doesn't happen naturally like that is truly the work of the spirit in someone's life to say it's not about you don't don't argue over you not getting your your decibel level or your style of music or or whether it is i don't i don't know the acapella comparison i was going to try to get and i didn't have one
1: Well, uh, I would say the why is important. Um, um, If the why is about power, I think being willing to sacrifice um, is necessary. And so that my comment won't be misconstrued. I'm not saying that one group should sacrifice for the other group. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is if your why isn't about power and control, but instead about love and the kingdom, then you make the decisions based on love and the kingdom. And then when you make that decision, you need to be able to make the the correct sacrifice for that decision. You you can't say I'm going to make a love and kingdom decision and then uh, uh, rail against the fact that now, you know, a third of my church left. Because they weren't they weren't spiritual enough to deal with how I loved people, um, I would say that when you talk about acapella churches, um, especially when you talk about African American churches, um, the, the 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 worship war isn't about instrumental per se. We have a couple of, of predominantly African American churches who have both, and some who just have one. Um, but the it's it's over style. It's over. Uh, uh, whether or not you can have a worship team whether or not if, if you have a worship team whether or not the, the women can stand on the stage or Or, or on, on the bass mic if you're going to have a bass mic. Is it all right to have? Uh, just a bass mic singing the, the 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 bass part or do you have a person doing vocal percussion? Oh, absolutely, or or do you have or how lively are we allowed to be if if? if the beat drops do i get to go boom boom boom? I'm sorry did I did I say that uh, uh well, For anyway the record, I think that's always right <laughs> the beat drops <laughs> you boom <could> boom <laughs> boom <laughs> is that right but but that, that those are those are more thank the you Hillsong. Right. song
0: <laughs> 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 but but that in that, boom 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 <laughs> you find me, just like ocean says <laughs> But, but, but that, is, that
1: is more the struggle. Um, and there have been splits. There are books now on, on is one song leader spiritual or scriptural. It's ridiculous. Oh, <laughs> so,
0: yeah. Let me ask you a question. Okay, so obviously we have different views on musicality, you and me. Sure. M- musicality in a worship service sure um I, I don't know if it's fair to put you on the spot but y- even when you're at westover yeah you were for, i was sitting next to you both services sure you were visibly more uncomfortable in the instrumental service
1: you don't want to know why
0: why is that because
1: you don't want to know why because you but were singing this, in his year this is not a question you want to ask
0: okay i'm not gonna
1: <laughs> no i'm just telling you this is really, really not a question. Okay, thank you all for I'm being your friend I here. I, I,
0: I, I, I'm very curious at this point. I wasn't going to go there. But, okay, so you and I, I'm just saying, you and I have different uh, views on that. Sure. And so how is it that you're able, we're still friends, we can still Absolutely. get along, you can come and participate in worship service. Absolutely. How can you do that even though there's different differences? Well, I
1: don't, I don't judge our relationship on... What kind of music you're gonna have in your worship service? You'd have to be a heretic, and by heretic, I mean deny the love of Jesus. (laughs) You know, I mean, uh, you know, if if you're talking about instrumental services, I I just don't. Y'all didn't go there, so yeah, that's my problem. If you're gonna go there, go there. I just. I'm just saying.
0: Turn it up. That's what you're saying. I'm just saying. Okay, but that's what I'm saying. That's the attitude I think if if we all had that, where it's yeah, if you deny the love of God, we can draw a line there. Absolutely. Like that's a line that that's that's significant. Absolutely. But everything else it's not there. Absolutely. And so let's make space for different conclusions that are not at that line. Sure. Anyway, let's let's end on that. Uh thank you all for being here. Thank you for staying up past my bedtime. Uh Josh, Fate, it's been a pleasure. Thank you all. You're dismissed.